Welcome back to Deconversion Therapy and uh, Karen's Saga Part 2. Thank you for listening. And yes, Bonnie will be back. I'm going to be doing a solo one on different things once a month just because she's out there busting her butt making money. Um, And I am busting my butt at home not making money. So join me. Come on. And this is an important time to say we have people who sponsor us and they're our inner circle and we appreciate them so much for the price of a fancy cup of coffee, seven bucks a month. It really helps toward equipment and and us and etc. you know. And find us on all the social media. Boom, boom, let's go. If you didn't listen to part one, of course, go back and you will see like the creation of my Christian experience, and now my husband and I are leaving the mission field and heading back to America. What I said, and I've said before, which is great, it's missionaries have a very, usually, low turnover as far as converting people to Christianity, unless there are other things involved besides just enjoy Jesus. Um, If there are any kind of monetary gains, or if there's, you know, the general old-fashioned colonialism where the state declares a religion, or uh, there's violence involved, usually the one-on-one evangelism that happens overseas, there's, there's not a lot of success. When we ended up leaving Thailand, Um, It was a lot because my husband was Australian, so we had to go to Bangkok, and we had to get him a visa to America. It's a whole big thing. We ended up going to North Carolina and living off my aunt and uncle. Another long story. We don't talk anymore. Let's just put it like that. That came from a different incident, but during that time, very appreciative. And going into the Bible Belt was quite eye-opening. The interesting part of it was that we were trying to get jobs and trying to get reacclimated, and we wanted to find a church home. And it's very hard when you've been overseas in what's known as a third-world country adapting to American religion. I, I remember actually walking into a nice church and looking at the trash can. And like the trash can had was round with curved wood, and then it had these um, like brass poles on the side. And I thought, the amount that that trash can't cost could feed a family, of course, for a month over there or more, whatever. And I even when I was sitting in a church, I was looking at the wall sconces. It was very hard. And then, of course, you just had this sort of flippant American elitist Christianity. So my husband and I tried a lot of different churches, and by that time, my husband had more doubts than I did because he was always sort of the skeptic. We joked that, you know, if someone, we were going somewhere, someone came to our mission areas, and they were known for putting their hands on people to slam in the spirit, I'm on my tippy toes begging God, touch me, I want to see your power. Uh, Don't take that out of context, that line, please. And he was braced 
like, you know, a football player, like, if, God, you're real, then you've really got to push me over. Neither of us were knocked over. And so he already had more of a critical thinking mind. It could be because he went to a university that wasn't Christian-based, and he ended up getting an advanced degree, and I was still, you know, just all church all day and Christian college. So his doubts were creeping into a few of our conversations at one point, as we got further into our deconstruction, it was not happening and it happening at the same time. And I thought, I just can't be unequally yoked, y'all. Um, and we might have to get a divorce. And I was broken over that. But I had also started asking my own questions. So a little recap of a story I've said before. I had become friends with some of the young women I taught in Thailand at my fake English school, which was a missionary group. And one day they said, aren't all Americans Christian? And I said, no, no. But, you know, most of Americans believe they only have one life. And they gave a really earnest giggle and laugh because that wasn't part of their paradigm. And once again, approaching the Bible as an outsider would see it, as people who believed in reincarnation and celebrated other uh, religious holidays rather than Christmas and Easter, as people who grew up with their own, quote, devils and their own gods, when I looked at the Bible from that moment on, I saw it automatically with different eyes because I saw it as if an outsider would look at it and therefore introduced accidentally critical thinking into my reading. This combined with, you know, trying to resettle in the States and going to churches that we just could not grab onto because either the Christian culture was very uh, focused on themselves, which was hard when, you know, you're like, oh, we saw so many people suffering, or um, the money that was involved, or whatever it was. It was just really hard for us to replan ourselves, and we went to a bunch of churches, believe me. So, you know, we each were still Christians, my husband and I, but we had more conversations about everything, and at that time, we were living— Oh, Lord, I need more coffee. We were living with my very fundamentalist aunt and uncle. This, of course, would come to a head decades later when my mother had Alzheimer's and was on her deathbed, and they decided to tell me that I didn't have enough faith, and that is generally why my mom wasn't doing well. That was the last time we spoke. They are also very racist. Did I tell you the demons were after me? Have I, <laughs> have I shared that part? Um, okay, so here we go. So I ended up in more charismatic churches, and of course we believe that demons 
can come after you, especially if you're making big strides to bring people to God. That is where, much like Will Smith said after he punched Chris, nope, he just slapped him, Chris Rock and Tyler Perry talked and prayed with him, that sometimes when you're at the top, that's when the devil wants to get you most. And that was happening to me. So I actually saw demons at night, shocker, and I had lots of problems sleeping. And that had happened since I was young. I actually did have sleep paralysis, which just happened. Um, I also have sleep apnea. So lots of these things converged with my actual uh, religious beliefs to have me being attacked by demons. And it was awful. It was just nonstop. I was even scared to like voice things out loud to my husband about what I was going through because we were taught that the devil doesn't know your thoughts, but if you speak something out loud, he'll know. Well, God knows your thoughts. So I was sort of trapped in this whole mental health crisis going on. And I would be praying to God, like, please protect me. And at the same time, I was starting to have some questions. I had started, like I said, reading the Bible and started coming across some things that even today I see it differently. So what I'm going to tell you is a, is a mix-match list of things that have made me doubt, but it could be from my brain now looking back or it could be what my tinier brain was thinking then. I'll try and let you know which is which. But then I think some things that started getting into me was I read from Genesis and I read the first set of commandments. And then I kept reading and found that second set. So yeah, Moses, he got mad because remember, God uses imperfect beings It'd be nice if he sent his best. I think that would be good for his PR program rather than $100 million on Super Bowl commercials. But he uses, you know, imperfect beings. When Moses got mad and broke the Ten Commandments, those tablets, he then, you know, I don't know what he was doing, but God later said, don't worry, I want you to get another set of those tablets. I remember what I told you, I'm going to tell you again, and there was a different set. And there was lots in there to do with us celebrating certain feast days, which I have never heard of today. So obviously, we ain't doing that. That was a bit of an issue for me. I kept going through different scriptures and going like, oh, this doesn't make sense, or why is this here? Or what does this mean? Or why does our pastor or the ones that we had been visiting all the time skim over these parts? I remember I was invited to a Bible study, women's Bible study, and I'd already started doubting. And I'm like, this might not go over well. And this particular Wednesday was all about Jesus's character. And it was women going, yeah, he is just so loving and so kind. And he just says, love everybody, you know, all that. And I actually spoke because they asked me to. And I said, yeah, you know, I do 
always want to understand more of his anger, like when he flipped the tables or whatever. No response. And that was an indication to me that any kinds of questions I had, even though they were ones for me to know Jesus better and me to be like him, were going to be ignored. Now, it would be a while until I guess I had—it isn't the bravery. It was, you know, when I was deconstructing, my husband was deconstructing, again, at a different pace and volume and all that— There was um, a slow sort of thing to it. There wasn't a day where I'm like, I don't believe anymore. It was definitely a slow thing of me saying, God, if you're an all-loving, benevolent God, do not let me die and go to hell. And each day I didn't die, I got more strength and, and just hope in humanity, I guess. It also made me less scared of admiring people who are doing great things who were not Christian, because even then you had all this suspicion against people who are, you know, giving a lot of money in the world or doing positive things if they weren't under, you know, the guise of Christianity. So slowly things began to unfurl. And I always say, you know, if it's a journey and if there's a path, When I did it 25 years ago, there was no bench to rest on where I said, you know what, I just don't think God would feel this way about LGBT. You know what, I don't think that hell, you know, would be, exists or whatever it is. There's no bench where I could sit and rest and say, I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to still believe he's the Messiah but I'm not going to accept those other things. There were no people sitting around on that bench having a picnic saying, "He, you know, let's be community here. And I think people who do that now are very fortunate. I'm just pointing out that when you don't have that structure that is now existing in progressive Christianity, then There's no alternative except you keep going down that same path. The trajectory keeps going. I follow someone on TikTok who is a scholar. He's a Mormon believer. I don't know. I don't understand his own personal feelings. Doesn't matter. Most of what he says I have found to be accurate if I look it up. Some things a little biased, but I'm talking 90, 95%. He's talking about actual, you know, proof of the Bible, not the Bible, blah, blah, blah. One thing he said that I think is so powerful is that every believer must negotiate the Bible. They must. They must say, I am going to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but I'm not going to believe that I can't eat shellfish. Or uh, much like uh, the Southern Baptists, they've negotiated out that the, the, the works of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, miraculous healings, word of knowledge, those were for the days of Pentecost. Those are for the old days. They've negotiated that out where more charismatic believers who do believe in that have negotiated out that they have to have full immersion baptism. So it's not only where we get our denominations from, but then it's the people personally 
who have to say, yes, I believe in this, and no, I don't. So the Bible as a whole, I was very quickly seeing that it couldn't be all or nothing. Wait, I, I lied. I was quickly seeing that to me, it had to be sort of all or nothing. If I'm putting all my hope and belief and everything in this book, then I have to believe all of it. And I wish I was the type who could take parts and do what now I'm seeing in articles, which is a growing popularity and um, not in Christian circles, not legitimate, quote, mainstream Christian, but in some of the articles talking about religion, what's called remix, where people do take parts of Christianity and mix it with personal beliefs or crystals or New Age or whatever they're doing, to me, that's a sin. That was a sin. I couldn't do that. Wouldn't even think of it because no one had done it first. And if they had, how would I know? There was no real internet. Uh, There was just, you know, chat rooms. And all chat rooms are satanic, y'all. So, I was beginning to unravel my Christianity in many ways. I was easily seeing that pastors who I admired, who talked, would talk about things like, you know, we're all going to talk about um, our talents and gifts and using them for God. And they'd pull a story out of the Old Testament. They'd pull a parable out of the New. And then they would also have a joke at the beginning. Don't forget that. And... There was never, even when they said, here's the context of the day, there was really never a a large picture being shown. So when I was reading it myself, and I was saying, that's weird, I thought this the whole time, and now I'm reading it and seeing it differently, I was thinking, do I need a pastor to really tell me? Because didn't Jesus come to knock out the middleman, because in the Old Testament, you had the Pharisees, rabbis, etc., in between you and God and the priests. And now, with the New Testament, it's supposed to give you direct communication, and that's even in their, their preaching. So don't I just need God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and the Bible? And I will be able to get those answers because what I was getting from the church was very nicely packed things. But I will say this one thing. I do give claps to my old pastor because he did and informed sermons so well that later when I got my master's in writing, I can definitely say some of my research techniques and writing techniques are from my time in churches that had more, um, you know, Ph.D. pastors, uh, because things sink in, y'all, and and I'm grateful that sunk in. And yes, we take the little things. Slowly, as I was deconstructing, I made a purposeful thing, which was, if I accomplish something good. I went ahead and told myself I accomplished that. It was scary to say that, that it wasn't Christ through me, etc. 
but it started building like a confidence outside of my bubble for me to go like, well, I wasn't struck down by God and I can I can do things. I also noticed that as my belief began to wane, the demons stopped appearing. It's almost as if when I stopped believing in them, they stopped existing. And fortunately, by that time, I was looking at outside sources to try and prove that the Bible was real or not. And I had stumbled across, I think it was like a CNN special a long time ago, where it had people, um, and if they were predisposed to believe in religion, and many of them, like many of the people I were was around, could be very phlegmatic, like some of them would try Christianity and they would try different, you know, denominations of it. They might get into New Age, like they always wanted and desired to have a spiritual belief, while other people seem to be born without that total need. It was in that my husband and I also started talking about the weird and, and you know, terrible things that happened in the mission organization that we were part of and manipulation and and all these things. And we began as we saw how, quote, man really can screw up an organization. It also made us equate, wait, man is in charge of sort of all of this, all of our interpretations and even our feelings in it. And because my husband was a worship leader He also knew exactly how to bring emotion out of audiences by repeating choruses and getting into the dissonant chords. And as I read a lot and started getting education, higher education literature, I was also seeing a lot of formulas in the Bible that I recognized in other parts of literature as just, you know, Plot points, tropes, all that. So here's my rundown of everything now. And at the end, I'm going to recommend some books. Let's go to Genesis 1-1. Wait, no. Let's go before Genesis 1-1 and how I see things today. I always questioned But not overtly, I couldn't even let it get to the top of my mind, but it was in the back there. Why did God make people? He's existed on some plane or whatever all eternity. Why did he think, I'm going to make some people? And why was it then? Why wasn't it, you know, a billion years before? Why was it then? Was God a perfect, all-powerful, all-knowing being bored? Was he like, hey, I have an idea, or I need a hobby, or I don't feel good about myself? Well, that's not true. He had to be perfect. Why did he feel he needed to invent people who would then worship him? And not only that. Why did Satan exist prior to us being created? So as the story goes, one of the angels became prideful, jealous of God, and turned and, you know, 
fell and turned into Lucifer or devil or whatever you want to call him. One, how did that happen? How did you just have perfect light and then one entity have pride in it? Did he not create his angels? Did Were the angels always there? And if so, why aren't we worshiping those angels? And if that angel could turn against him, why wouldn't God zap him right then? God would already know that he was going to do that, but let's say he let it happen for shits and giggles. Here comes Lucifer looking at him jealous and prideful. Why didn't God just strike him down? Because you know what? God knew he was going to create people, right? If I knew that, you know, if I have another baby, it's going to... Listen, let's just take a break. We all know I ain't having another baby. But if I went to the doctor and they're like, you know what? We've done all this genetic testing this baby will suffer and die very early in its life, I would go, I will not have a baby and put them through that. Why did God say, here's Satan, not only am I not destroying him, but I'm going to invent people who have no actual superpowers like I do, and let's just see what the fuck happens. So, all right, all loving God, he creates man. Here's Adam. And then it says, God realized it was not good for man to be alone. You realized? How? So we have a God that realizes things because he didn't know it before? All right. I'm just letting that one go. He makes Eve. Awesome. And from now on, I will only picture Eve as Natasha Leon. That's just who I'm going to picture forever. I love her. So, creates Eve. First two people. God is perfect. God is all loving. God creates these. Don't know why. His first two fuck up. Or, God's first creation of people, he fucked it up. Because... Can you believe it? It's an old trope that's in writings prior to the Bible that you put out your heroes or your main characters and you put an obstacle there and then you see what happens. That's what happens in the Bible. Introduce these two people. Here's a tree you can't eat from. Why? Why did God want to test them? There's only two of them. Why the hell would he be like, these first I'm going to test? Anyway. So Eve, she eats the Bible, eats the Bible, Lord have mercy, she eats the apple. Already done, why didn't God wipe them out right then? One, why didn't he kill the snake? But why didn't he wipe them out right then and be like, listen, I screwed up with these two people. I don't want any other people to suffer, so we're starting over. No, he waited till Noah, till there were thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people, right? So anyway... Here we are, Adam and Eve. They fuck up. He fucks up. Then they have two children. Oh, before this, God's also like, they went and hid, and he's like, where are you? Where are you? Uh, Are you smart? Are you not? Anyway, then Adam and Eve have two sons. There you go. First murder in all history happens when the Third and fourth people are made. It almost sounds like a myth. It almost sounds like literature. So 
first four people, super fucked. He he screwed up. Kill him. Get rid of it. No, no. And have, you know, more children uh, to, to make people all over Earth. The son that ended up living uh, went to another town to marry a woman. We don't know. Let's just skip over that right now. It does No, it doesn't have to make sense. Let's just go with it. Now, the creation myth of creating something in a few days and there being the dry and the, the oceans separated and all this was from writings that happened earlier. I think it's the Enuma Elish. Of course, I'll let you correct me. I don't really. Uh, it doesn't matter, but it does. It, it exists before, and you can find that same thing. I think it happens and is retold in the Quran and so forth. Go enjoy. And what I want to say here is very important. When I talk about the Old Testament, it is also the Hebrew Bible. However, the Old Testament to Christians is almost a different set of writing because we have, oops, we have overlapped the New Testament as fulfilled prophecy on top of that Old Testament. So I want to make sure that uh, any Jewish people don't think I'm disrespecting their religion, their Bible, their texts, because this is a book that we see with different eyes than Jewish people do. Let's just move on. Let's go next big fun story that, you know, we make uh, plush animals out of is Noah's Ark. So God knows that these people, Lord, they're just terrible, but he's just going to keep it going till there's a bunch of people. And then he finds one righteous man after Sodom and Gomorrah, and there's all sorts of wickedness and all that. Um, he is going to pick one person. So let's remember, God is all-powerful. All the rest of the people on the fucking earth have been gotten to, have been triumphed over by Satan, while God only has one. Who's powerful here? Who's powerful? Anyway, finds one righteous man, not sinless, just righteous, Noah. And you know it's a patriarchal telling because Noah gets to take his no-name wife and his three sons, they get names, and their three wives onto this boat. He takes however long he does, I forget, to build the boat, but that's enough time to warn the people, you know, God's going to send a flood. Now, how does Noah tell everyone on earth? I don't know. If it's in a miraculous way, why can't the miracle be used to tell people to, you know, uh, show them miracles or, or get them straight with God so they don't have to die. Don't know. Who am I to question God? So he's building this huge ark. Here come the animals. We already know. We have problems here. We, we don't understand, like, where are you keeping the fish? What about, are you, do you have a bunch of different species of each thing? Do you have a labradoodle on there, or is it just two wolves? And, the, you know, how, how is all that happening? Where are you fitting the elephants? Where's all the shit going? How are you feeding them? We've got all these problems. Of course, a lot of Sunday school teachers say, God made them all hibernate. Lovely. Um, why couldn't you just make them all float on their own rafts? I don't know. Anyway, so... The rains start, and if the people, 
all of them in the world had heard Noah's warnings, you're going to tell me that not one banged on that ark or ran to Noah and said, you were right, or got on their knees and begged mercy from God and said, I'm sorry I didn't believe you. Supposedly none of them, because Satan was more powerful than God was at that time. He had captured them, and you can tell I'm getting steamed up. And so uh, you're telling me that an all-righteous man with mother and children and babies coming to him saying, please spare us, said no. He shut the door. Is that righteous? To then see the floodwaters coming and people starting to gasp for air and drown and babies and pregnant women and all these things. Noah didn't do anything, and that's righteous? That is not a righteousness that I respect in the least. And people will say, oh, it's just. Or, you know, the same thing with people going to hell for not choosing God. It was free will. No, free will is something where you offered something with equal results or consequences or unknown results. But I can't say, I've got um, a cliff bar with me right now. It's lovely. I can't say, here, eat this cliff bar. And you say, no, thank you. That's free will. If I say, eat this cliff bar, or I'm going to punch you in the face and then stab you and all that, that's not free will. But we're seeing it again here. We're seeing it with the whole thing with Noah. He's not helping anybody, and I guess they're just looking over the side or shoveling poop. Don't know. I don't know how sinless or righteous his wife and, you know, we know that there was alcohol involved later, so we know there's some problems. But anyway, we're to believe that God waited all the way till then so he could wipe out all those people, although we had forethought to know that that's what was going to happen. There's so many other things in the Old Testament that are difficult for me or, frankly, to the hell boring for me. But I'm just going to jump to the New Testament. I started a blog a long time ago where I was reading through the New Testament, and people got really pissed at me with, you know, shock. And it was like I was reading it and going, yeah, I know this story. Okay, yeah, there's, there's you know, Jesus being born. Um, but say it was Matthew or Mark, I can't remember. In the third chapter, it was like, and then along came a man named Mark. And I was like, what? I thought you were writing it. And this led me to, of course, more questions at the time. And we were actually going to a church, and we ended up going to Sunday school with some older professors rather than the young parents who are our age, because I, I'm not the person who can handle um, cuteness in a way. And the ones our age... Their Sunday school was like called Gilligan's Island, or they had some theme going on at the time that was cute, and and I'm like, mm-mm. So we went with the people. One was on an oxygen tank, and that was okay. They introduced my husband and I to the book by Dr. Bart Aram called Misquoting Jesus. We have it in our Amazon storefront. It'll blow your mind. We also have it in our bookshop, which is a non-Amazon affiliate. 
and doesn't cost you more, etc. But that is when I started to see some of the things, such as that there were no eyewitness accounts written about Jesus. These Gospels were written after Jesus died. And of course, Paul never physically met Jesus except in a vision on the road to Damascus. But it also explained a lot of things to me. Not only do we not have any original manuscripts to the Bible, we have copies of copies, and a lot of those have different things they leave out or put in. Um, And it blew my mind, obviously. And I started seeing things, of course, I, I never saw before. And when I bring it up to anybody who's a Christian, just like, you know, the sayings like the four corners of the earth in the Bible. Yeah, it's because uh, they hadn't had anyone say it was round yet, and they hadn't, you know, killed anyone over saying that yet. But people are like, no, God knew. That was just put in there so people at the time would understand. I'm like, God is just busy bearing fossils all over this place. And let me go back to Noah's Ark. I also found out in Bart Aaron's book that there was the Epic of Gilgamesh, which we actually do have tablets on that tells of the Great Flood tells even of a bird having to fly and find a dry leaf to show there is dry land. And that Epic of Gilgamesh was written hundreds of years before Genesis was first written and ends up in other Sumerian tales. So this stuff, you know, it was blowing my mind. Another thing was sacrifice, blood sacrifice. So remember when Abraham was like, hey, kill your son, and he was about to do it. And then there was a ram that showed up. Like the idea of blood sacrifice was really important prior to the Bible and all, you know, starting from the first religions that were animistic and going through. Um, And Jesus was supposed to be sort of the, quote, last sacrifice. So the idea that he died was very significant to the understanding of the people at the time who required sacrifice for cleansing. And that whole at-the-time thing really gets you because you're like, yeah, whatever else is, you know, for at that time? And then you start looking at things outside of that, and we have either already played for you or we will Zoroastrianism, which was the religion that sort of overlapped Christianity at the time. But thinking about mythology that we... No, people really believed in that was their religion. They had temples to it. They worshiped Ra or Zeus or whoever. And sacrifices were necessary in those religions also. I didn't realize that five different mythological gods show up. Like Paul writes about something that relates to Zeus and to Hermes. Hermes? He, we, I don't know. They make good purses and scarves, but... That was the belief system at the time, and that belief system consisted of an all-powerful God who had a lot of strength and could smite people, and always having relations either in a terrible way or however with an earthly woman, and then giving birth to a demigod. And I was like, boom, that's exactly the story of Christ. 
And of that time, that would be the plot for anyone to believe in a religion or not. That is exactly something that was going around, you know, uh, storytelling or performed in little plays like I did as a missionary for the people at the time. So, of course, it makes total sense. But growing up in a bubble of religion, I didn't really understand any of that or see any of that. And I was absolutely scared to look into it. But later when I did begin to look into things, and of course, you have church history being screwed up, and you have Constantine, you have priests, it's, you know, all of that. I was too afraid to look at any of that because doubting was the biggest sin and blasphemy was a sin. And blasphemy is not just what we're doing today, but it's actually just not believing in God and definitely voicing that. And so I was held in that bubble of fear all my life. And I always talk about how, um, you know, my first occurrences or learning about God on my own was that Children's Illustrated Bible. The visions of hell or Satan are so real and scary in those things that they implant as imagery in your brain and they hold on a lot longer than some of the more pleasant ones. And of course, that scared me to death. And I didn't want to be separated from my parents. You know, a lot of people who deconstruct they're not doing it to sin. Many of us are very boring. It's the people who, you know, were in ministry or who believe so much that they really were seeking and getting in it to it more in depth and study themselves right out of the asshole of religion. You know, you start seeing that things aren't agreeing or things are repeated from other religions. You can start to see that any things that you thought were miracles were usually invisible miracles. Arthritis feeling better. Um, I love the old leg growing thing where it's like one leg's an inch shorter than another. Wait, it grew, you know, all that. But there's nothing that we see that's in a newspaper that is legitimately God showing power. And so I began to see how a lot of that was my mind being impressed and seeing things. Because I also saw signs in everything. Everything was a sign, y'all. I was driving down Alligator Alley one time and singing praises to God. And you know what? He put crosses for me to see and to put on my heart that He is in everything. They were telephone lines, and I knew they were telephone lines, but my mind also believed at the same time God was giving me a message. So it's just the way your mind begins to be trained. And when you start to open your eyes and the blinds lift and you're less scared of dying and going to hell and you can look at things with an outsider's mind, all these things start coming to you. And if you're not there yet... One, maybe don't listen as far as you have, because I wish I had a belief system that said I was going to see my family after I died. I would have never purposefully left Christianity. I would not have left an eternal life. And now that I feel I have whatever 
people's new beliefs are. Mine doesn't include an afterlife like that. I wish it did. I really wish it did. And people who tell me, well, reincarnation is real, good. I hope that would be nice. I hope it is. But reincarnation isn't something you have to believe in for it to happen to you if it is true, where heaven is, you know. Um, And I think there are a lot of people who are very afraid of letting go of that and are very fearful of hell, as was I, as was I. And you look further and you see, wait, heaven and hell has always existed in some of the religions before this and the devil and all these things. People ask me, well, where are you now? Do you have a spiritual practice or understanding or anything? And for me, and this is not Bonnie, my co-host, I don't. And I, I'm not sure if it's because I'm an all-or-nothing person in many ways. I don't know if it's because I haven't seen proof and I felt I was bamboozled for so long. I don't feel like I'm missing anything. And I feel very content, very happy, and all that. But I don't, I haven't grasped on to anything else that's spiritual at this point in my life. Um, even though we're all one thing, I haven't grasped on to that. And that could be true. Don't know. Don't know. One thing I will say, and my husband and I were talking about this the other day, where, or weeks, months, that when things come our way that are terrible, they're not trials and they're not tribulations and we're not going to a small group and we're not digging it up every week. And then the next week, people asking, how is that? How is that financial burden for not being able to pay your kids' braces off? Let's make it a triumph rather than a try. You know, it is more like, shit, got to pay that bill, going to call them, say, hey, can I have an extension? Like the the difference of the energy used to go through all our emotions and all our inadequacies in getting things we need because it equates to some relationship or lack of it with a God or a Jesus. It's so freeing. Like I have so much more mental energy to spend on good things. And I'm very fortunate that I do not carry with me anything where I actually had legitimate trauma, not legitimate, but like actual trauma from a person or anything like that. I have realized that I do have religious trauma as far as anxiety, because if you're praying without ceasing, praying to God without ceasing and praising his name and all that, and you have this up and down thing that goes all day between guilt of, oh, gosh, I'm not praying to God right now. Let me do that. Or I've got to make a decision. Let me pray. Or someone is hurting or there's a war going on, let me pray until I'm almost sick, until I feel that release, or have to hand it over to God. So the adrenaline is going up, and then it goes down, and adrenaline goes up and down, and your body continues that cycle, even as you're out of that belief system, it can still produce that hormonal up and down and that anxiety um, that... I finally recognize as a form of religious trauma. There are so many things I'm thankful for of being raised in it 
and it's because I wasn't hurt like that. And I know not everyone can say that. Um, and it's something that I feel I wish my kids had because it was almost like a psychological uh, meeting or group every week where you could talk about things. If I could control that type of group and be like, nope, that's uh, for therapists. Let's just more talk on a on a lower realm of telling our secrets. You know, I would love that for a community like that for my children when they grew up because there were a lot of things that I could express and go through. But yeah, it, it's definitely out of control, especially now, and it's so harmful um, that I'm glad if I have to have one or the other thing for my kids that we chose what we did, although they both did become Christians at different points in their life, and we gave them a Bible during that, and we knew, we knew that they were smart little chickens because we raised them to think critically. So we didn't talk them out of their beliefs, and they came to their own decisions. One of the most asked questions I get is, what do you do if you have a Christian family? And I want to reiterate that if you are young and live with Christian parents, it's always physical safety first. So if you are physically unsafe, then there are resources to help you with that. If you are psychologically unsafe, then that's sort of that realm two, right, of things where you can start making a plan, even if it's just a week in advance, to somehow get out of that or get help with that in general, depending your age. Um, and then there's the whole, you know, are you an adult? How close are you to your family and how close do you want to remain to be? So my father's 92. He's very Christian. I have chosen relationship over religion. For him, it is hard because religion and, and or sorry, relationship with Jesus equates to love and relationship to me. So it's hard for him to leave that out because when I was a Christian, that was the same. My caring for other people included that I wanted them to go to heaven. Like that was the greatest love I could give them. So understanding that is a big part of how you negotiate relationship with family who are like that. And if you want to keep relationship with them and you are safe and you're an adult, maybe, you need to maybe slowly start explaining to them or even listening to them. I know, it's terrible. If they ask you about it, you can just say, you know, you were probably young once, and now with the internet, uh, I'm listening to more things because if I'm to be a believer, I just want to have all that information. You're going to have to figure out what works for you. Of course, there are professional therapists now that deal with religious trauma, I will warn you, there are a lot of ones out there who, beware, that's it, that's all I'm going to say. But 
there are other ones, and they're just people who are not church counselors that would be good to go to for relationship advice between your you and your family. And of course, there is the more extreme uh, no contact with family. That was not an option for me growing up, nor Bonnie. And there's so many things that I'm glad that wasn't an option. Um, we both take care of our parents now as Gen X. And I know that there's a, a whole belief that people don't have to do that. I don't want my kids to do that to me. I don't. I don't want to burden them, them with that. But my parents didn't want to burden me either. Like that was the last thing they ever wanted to do. But for me, I'm so glad I had that opportunity because my relationship with them as they were older adults in their twilight years changed. And that I'm very thankful that I get to be a part of that. And that's all to say, you know, you can't take anyone's direct advice for any of this stuff. But you can listen to what they have gone through. You can glean a little. You can say, that's like my situation or that's not. Or I have an abusive parent and I want to get away from them. And that's all legitimate too. We'll put resources on our website. Um, The books I recommend definitely are anything from Bart Aram, and he's coming out with a new one that I'm really excited about. There's also Jesus and John Wayne, and it's written by a Christian scholar. So Christians can definitely read it too. Well, you can do misquoting Jesus, obviously, um, the book by Bart Aram. But Jesus and John Wayne just explains why our Christian world, especially in America, is the way it is now. And we have other books on there, and we will be adding more as we go. Um, And if you have any recommendations, we can put it in our shops because we make two cents on it and you don't pay anything extra and all that. But we just want to have a resource list for everyone, even though we mostly deal in comedy. But every once in a while, we're going to have some serious little chit-chats. Aren't you fucking lucky? No, you're not. If you've listened this far, I appreciate it so much. I hope you have a great weekend. Don't be a shit pile to anyone. Um, That's my religion. Unless they're like really annoying Christians who harass you. Okay, that's it. Bye. Love y'all. 